Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we have Alex Burrows joining us from Active Exchange. Alex, thanks for joining us. Uh, Andrew, Anthony, thanks for the uh, invite onto the podcast. Yeah, really appreciate it. And all the way from the UK, the time there is? Oh, it's uh, just coming up to 10 past nine in the evening. So uh, it's not too LA. bad. I've, <laughs> I've had a lot worse. That's acceptable. Yeah, all That's good. Acceptable. Uh, very, very good. How is everything going in the UK at the moment? Yeah, we've had better. Actually, this is the last evening before we go into uh, lockdown number two. So we're, yeah, we'll be, not much will be happening for the next month or so. And it's, uh, yeah, it's looking like a bit of a bleak winter coming up. Mm. Yeah, so it's a bit of a shame. I, I left Australia in, it's last there in kind of March, April, thinking I was just going to, yeah, nip back for a couple of weeks while this, this COVID thing blows over and then I'll, I'll be back into, into Sydney. And then here we are, what, eight, nine months on and yeah, who knows what's, what's left to come. Yeah, we're right ahead of our second lockdown. Mm. Yeah, so opening up right now and you're in the opposite. So it's not fun, is it? So on a better light, let's uh, talk a bit more about who you are, your background. So Alex, tell us a bit about yourself and what your background is, because your story is quite interesting. So let's share a little bit to the community as to yeah, your background, your history. Yeah, um, well, I've always had a an interest in, in kind of sport and community sport and how people you know, could and should be more physically active and, and that obviously benefits benefits your health and your your mood and so on. And I um I went to just going back uh fifteen years now, graduated from uni in the UK, had done sports science and management and started working for what was the largest kind of community leisure planning consultancy within the UK. It wasn't huge in, in kind of schemes of consultants consultancies but had about 50 or 60 people and I was kind of the data geek I would be in there building models around where you should put your next swimming pool or your next football pitches and analyzing the the demographics of different catchments trying to help you know some of the more senior staff work out what the what the right answer was but that that went bust in with the recession in was that 2009 2010 but I thought I was onto something around this data and the whole world when it comes to right offer right place right time in order to get people more active there was something in it and there was significant inefficiencies within within the in- industry lots of information floating around in different places but no one was kind of bringing it together and and there weren't any kind of uh, accurate models to to help guide decision making um so i set up my own little company called it leisure markets at the time worked out of my bedroom for a couple of years with a couple of friends and there were a couple of hires from uh, different places, contractor websites and so on. And we we provided basic analytics for for other consultants who, yeah, I was kind of had contacts from from the previous company. And then ended up randomly, I was over in Sri Lanka, project managing a Commonwealth Games bid uh, for the government there for six months. And in Azerbaijan, project managing a an Olympic bid coming up to winter, or oh, this would have been around 20, 2012, 2013. And Mede, I was kind of, one of my themes that I was looking after when you put a Olympic bid together is a, you have all these different themes that go into the bid book. And uh, one of my themes was security and operations. And one of my international advise, advisors, and you work with different companies from, from around the world, they were called Four Global. And they had a, a major event business that was based in London, and they wanted to expand that into a, a broader sports business. So one thing led to another, and we merged my my small company with with that slightly larger company. And then I set out kind of growing what we ended up calling sport intelligence and a sport planning consultancy. But over four or five years ended up employing about 30 people. But importantly, we put a software team in place and we recognized that you've got, yeah, like I was saying earlier, all this data in these these community leisure and aquatic venues. 
And if you could kind of lift that up and process it and standardize it, you could create some, some good market intelligence, which would help guide decision making throughout, throughout an industry. So, yeah, we ended up at a table one day with a sport saying that we want to know more that's ha- what's happening with putting all this investment and all our team into all these venues across the country. But they have their own separate systems and we have no visibility about where, you know, what's working, what's not. Therefore, we can't continue to deliver our, our services effectively within those venues. And we said, look, oh, we've got a software team. We could integrate with the leisure management system that's used in the gyms. And there's a few different ones in the industry. We'll sort all that and we'll provide you some software. And then one thing led to another. And we're, I mean, that company, which I'm still kind of loosely involved with, I'm still a shareholder there. And that now tracks in the region about 14 million people and I think about 820 million visits to venues and provides a whole suite of software to, to different venue operators. But then I, I had an opportunity two years ago, so 2018, my wife, working for PwC, had an opportunity to move out to Australia. It wasn't quite quite the right time for, for Four Global. So I thought right, I'll have another another crack at setting up a company and, and growing a team, but also focusing more on the, the data science side. So not just the, the software. So in the UK, we'd kind of provided business intelligence around market trends and, and benchmarks. You know, what's your acquisition rates and retention rates? And what's the next uh, group exercise that's taking off that you should put on your timetable at, at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday? But what we wanted to now create is using elements of machine learning is is more advanced modeling around where's the optimal spot to build a new gym and predicting all the way through like the supermarkets do, who's going to use it, how much are they going to spend and so on before. So you kind of have a really good idea of how to run a venue before you even open the doors. And that's what we set up in Australia. So yeah, based out of Sydney, we've now got a team of 12 guys, mainly data engineers, data scientists, but it is providing solutions through a, a product. We work with several hundred leisure venues, but we also work with a whole range of, of state and national sport organizations. So a bit different to the UK, that feeds data in as well. And then coupled with that, and the, the product's called SportsEye, we, um, we also provide intelligence to, to government who obviously put a lot of money into community activity and want to know what the social return is and, and the impact and, and know where to invest next. So um, yeah, we'll continue to grow. And now we're looking at the states and Canada. Well, Alex has got a bit there, clearly, on your experiences from so Olympic bidding. There would be a bit in that, I would imagine, <laughs> the amount of effort that goes into doing that. So, And then all the way through from setting up a business in the UK, partnering. So your experience is quite vast and working in a number of different spaces, but then even shifting into another country. Yeah, so let's start at more leisure markets and how that sort of that merger went about. Because when people get into business, you're two years in. What did that look like and how did that opportunity come about and what made you jump into that? So what gave you the, the get a, basically the kick to actually give that a go? Yeah, I think I, I had a feeling we were onto something, but I was still just working with the same partners I knew in that original company. And I knew there was, mm-hmm. I thought there was something more around being able to scale this, but it also comes down to to personal relationships. And yeah, this was just a, an event consultancy at the time, but they had some some really good leadership, some really good directors in there and one of those directors from that side actually helped me kind of co-found uh, what became the, the software company under under that company so a chap called Uku and I think that's a lot of the time that's what it comes down to is is having the right people around you and that complementary skill set so Uku very strong on the on the software side and, and the data management side I had more background in kind of the, the data modeling the insight and how you a lot of this stuff when you're creating a an industry-wide kind of ecosystem of, of sharing information, a lot of it comes down to partnerships and how you create a network where there's 
in different organizations are incentivized to kind of collaborate and work towards this this greater goal but it was um it was less about the financial it was more around the it's more from an operational perspective it was moving you know into a full-blown office having a, a bit of investment around it to, to help scale that team and improve the concept because there was something in it but it was just yeah that, that mm. kind of almost it also gave us the confidence to say actually there, there's something bigger here let's let's take the next step yeah, so from working out of your home to getting into something a bit more operational. It, it is important, like we can build structure over time, but I imagine that would have gave you a nice little leap in terms of from that two years in to what the next chapter would have been if you went it alone. If you think back to that, if you went it alone, what, what, how would you have approached it? And uh, do you think you would have grown it to the extent it was? It's hard to know, really. Um, it definitely wouldn't have grown as quickly, and I think it wouldn't have been as good. And yeah uh, so yeah you you never you never really know i think sometimes in hindsight you would don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can yeah. get trapped in a little bit of a bubble and particularly you know i was mm. providing this data modeling and, and mapping but it was offline yeah. stuff originally uh-huh. and yeah it was paying the bills i was making decent money but it it wasn't the step change i probably really really wanted to to create but that yeah that needed that wider collaboration yeah. yeah, get it. Uh, in business, we need to collaborate. And um, yeah, st- stuck in a silo, we only know what we know as a business. And networks build networks and teams build teams and good operations is important to any any business. So starting out, we generally start with the one, the two people. That's generally how every business starts, unless you've got some decent seed behind you and you can afford to buy a team. But collaboration is another way to level up um, as a business. So definitely a, a good insight there, Alex, in terms of how you sort of approached getting to the next level of your business. Mm. I think that gave the gave me the confidence as well to then say, right, mm. go into Australia. And that was, you know, from scratch, I was starting up a brand new yes. company. But it also, it's a, it's a small world. And particularly when you work in, you know, sport, leisure, aquatic fitness in, in industries, it's, it's a lot of people what help we had already we'd created this ecosystem in, in the UK and we actually had a number of other suppliers that would kind of bolt their products onto this ecosystem so it wasn't just our own software so for instance if you're a, a surveying provider and you normally do customer surveys of people that go in and out of gyms and when they join as members and so on well it's there's more value by bolting it on a bit like the app store almost bolting it in and triggering surveys based on when someone's just visited or based on some predictive modeling that says we want to know more about this person now because it's going to improve our operations so we started to create that ecosystem but what that gave us was a a really kind of broad network across the uk and then a lot of people from the uk have either lived in australia or have connections and so on so yeah about three four months leading into that that big move across i must have had 20 to 30 skype calls with different people but it was it was through these kind of introductions and and kind of trusted partnerships i had in the uk that that really helped yeah the networks definitely help with that i can imagine building that sort of a product and would give like you said much more insight to those facilities but then also make your data set richer as well yeah yeah it's absolutely that and um yeah ultimately you're if someone's sharing their data into your system you're trying to provide them value back and and also help them recognize that value and quantify it. That's, that's important. Um, yep. But you, it was always about how, yeah, we, we didn't want to conquer the whole world. It's how can we set up the foundations to then bring it all together. And it's, a, it's basically a digital transformation process for an industry. And how can you, you know, help champion that? Yeah. And then, yeah, that sort of ends up being a, a win-win-win situation. Win for yourself, win for the partners, and the win for the end user or customer of yeah. the facility. Because then they can get better services provided to them. 
Absolutely. And you, I mean, take one of the organizations as an example. So you have this middle tier of, of system providers. So if you join a gym or you go in somewhere, you'll swipe, swipe a card and data will be collected and it will be held in that system. Now, if that system provider integrates with the software we, we have in the UK, it's, it's called Data Hub. But um, yeah, the software in, the, in Australia is called SportsEye and it's, it's more or less the same. If you integrate with that, it means the data that original system's collecting on behalf of that client goes even further. So you're actually doing a favor to that system provider. You're providing it. They become more sticky to that in client because they're getting more value out of that, that data being collected. And then that kind of leads into various different partnerships and, and referral networks and, and so on. So it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a good business because it's kind of, you, I love, the, I thrive on partnerships and sitting around a table and trying to find mutual benefits and, and just trying to be a little bit disruptive, but with, with different partners. And yeah, it's, it really lend, lends itself to that. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely help grow each other. So thriving on partnerships, that's an interesting take on that. So how do you approach a partnership relationship? I think some people out there that do start off small and look and are working on their own, but then partnership is a big thing in business. Uh, the more we can partner with, the more value we can add collaboratively. It can scale that network, can scale that offering to clients, can add more value. How would you recommend approaching a partnership conversation? What are some of the key things you've learned along your journey? Ooh, I think you you need to understand there needs to be a reason for that partner being involved. I think a lot of the stuff we do is it's not always commercial. And actually, the, the majority of time, it's, it's not commercial. It's either... So a good example in Australia, we would partner with a whole range of uh, national and state associations and government who all sit around this ecosystem and, and help kind of refer their local governments and, and other kind of members in, into it. And it's, I think it, you've got to listen. I think we will, because we are first movers in, in these markets and you would, you know, we did a lot of conferences, a lot of networking. It was, you know, the shiny thing that just arrived. People were interested. And that normally led itself to a an open discussion. Obviously, there's a got to be a lot of listening that's that's required, and, and understanding really what's this other organisation's looking to achieve and what their objectives are. And actually, it might only be a, relevant to a very small part of what you're trying to do. And I think it's trying not to sell the world to these guys and just saying, look, it's part of this that you know if you sit in here, you can. So I'll give you an ex another example. So we work with the Aquatic and Recreation Association in Victoria. So ARV, who basically represent the whole aquatic industry across the state. They have a really, they have a great program called Vic Swim, which runs during the summer. And it, it's designed to get kids who wouldn't normally do uh, learn to swim sessions, who maybe are from low income areas, from deprived areas, get them involved in, in subsidized or paid for yeah, lessons through the, through the summer. Now, what we provide for them is the ability to see, feed some data in, but then predict which other venues are going to work really well for that for that, those particular sessions, but importantly, evidence the value back to local government. So it's not about commercializing anything or anything like that. It's about showing their impact and showing the, the social value that they're creating back to the local governments who run the venues or back to the operators. And that's, that, that'll be different to a, you know, a fitness franchise who would come to us and say, look, I want to buy and I want to sell another 10 sites. I need the optimal hotspots that remain across Australia, you know, quite a saturated market. Aussies love love a franchise and and yeah, setting up a gym and so on. Yeah, where where should I go? Where's most sustainable? Yeah, how can I best support my franchisee? Make as much money as possible through through this venture. So it's I think it's the point being it's it's about being open to different types of partnerships and those partnerships might not be the end user. They might be a facilitator. It might just 
be an open discussion that sits on the shelf for a year or two. Yeah, but it's important to, I think, always make contact. And I, I rarely turn down kind of a, an opportunity to meet someone new that's relevant within our industry, even if I can't quite fit them within the box straight away. And I hope hopefully people think of us in a, in a similar way. Yeah. I think you touched on um, something there is about what are they doing? What are they adding? What what are they looking forward to? Listening. I think you mentioned that was pretty interesting because we need to know who we're working with to really add value and not just the end customer, but partners to who we're collaborating with. So yeah, think of them as, well, partnerships as it's a, it needs to be a win-win. We need to be able to add value to them and they need to be able to add value to us, but also to the customers, the consumers, or whatever the, the end result might be. So that's how I've always seen partnerships. But also helping each other as well. Like if you you can partner in different mediums in different ways, but I think bringing in, like you said, you bring in partners which might be a survey component into your system, and that helps everybody in in from a customer, from their service, from your service. It adds more value. So just thinking outside the box, rather than just doing everything on our own, which is what yeah. some founders can get stuck in. It's like oh, we need to do everything, but. Technically, if you do one thing well, you can work with a whole channel of partners and different people to, to do the rest and you can build a good offering and an ecosystem. Yeah, I think what's really important as well, and actually I left it too late probably in nine, so we should have, this is something we would have liked to set up and, and got feedback on really from the outset is having a really clear purpose. So, and you know, what's that line that you stand behind and, you know, going to be happy to stand line, stand behind for, for several years. So we, we talk about empowering data to shape more active and healthy communities across australia and new zealand and yeah trying to through our partners so not directly it's you know we don't none of our software triggers things off directly to the consumer it's always working through these these venues and different organizations but trying to positively influence 10 million people on a rolling basis and influence how they're active how they're healthy through you know better delivery of of sporting leisure opportunities and now going into Canada and the States and obviously still connections into the UK. We've kind of yeah, set ourselves this goal of, of 100 million people by 2023 based on, yeah, on, on a similar kind of formula, but with that really clear purpose. And that, I think that, and just being really true to it as well. So recognizing mm -hmm. case studies where, you know, organizations have used some of the intel and, and made the smarter decisions and it's got more people active and, and case studies where we've been doing things with the YMCA and in Australia where they're generating significant savings for the community and by yeah, not chasing necessarily every dollar, but saying, right, we're going to provide these programs, these services, this type of membership for people in deprived areas or people who, you know, are traditionally inactive or maybe have high prevalence of obesity and being able to put a, a dollar value behind that and say, okay, this is the savings we've generated. It all sits under that headline banner. So I think it's, it's important having a really clear purpose. Yeah, can't emphasize that enough. And it resonates with staff and yeah, obviously customers and partners and all the way through. Yeah, so that purpose helps with the culture and then, like I said, being true to it and following that and using that to help you guide your decisions and your direction forward makes a big difference. Mm, yeah, I think so. And yeah, it's uh, if one of our ch one of our biggest challenges is is focus because there's uh, you create this pool of data. There's a whole raft of different avenues you can go down with it. But it's being, I suppose, ultimately responsible and secure with that data. You know, organizations have trusted you to use it in the right kind of way. But it's it's staying, you know, focused on that purpose. That's what we're we're here to do. Yeah. That's a big, big number you're targeting. So yeah, it's and that's in a short time frame. So 
good luck with it because I think um, the track that you're on and what you being first to market is interesting. It's often um, a nightmare. Yeah. You, 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 yeah. I, would, I would love to have been second yeah. to market and seen someone else fail, but raise a whole load of awareness and done education and webinars and traveled on Jetstar across Australia every other day. But um, yeah, no, yeah. sometimes you, you just kind of get on with it and, and hopefully you can keep the momentum and have some real champions to go with you, whether that's clients or, or partners. Yeah, it's about building those case studies, right? So if anyone hasn't been in the first-to-market space, we've been involved in a startup in the first-to-market space that didn't didn't quite succeed. We decided to exit it, but we're a side partner in that. And, yeah, it just become challenging and limiting in some capacities. Uh, if you're going to get the cut through with the right partners, you're in trouble. It's too and much education. It's a lot of education, yeah. but it's... It's, you're breaking ground. You're breaking new ground, and you are really innovating in that world. You're not you're not second to come, third, fourth, fifth, the copycat. You are new to car, and you're learning all the time. So, how like thinking back as to where your product started, being first to market, the evolution of that. Can you explain a little bit how you've evolved the business, the products, the thinking with your customers? Yeah, I mean, well, going back to to leisure markets and being in the, mm. you know, working from the bedroom and so on, it was, you know, that was an Excel output and a, a couple of maps and throw it into a report and away you go. So that's where it started and we've kind of progressed from then. We were lucky to have some really good software developers. So I've, I've not got any background in, in software development. I've kind of learned a little bit along the way. But yeah, and that, that first company in the UK, we had a really good software development team who I think sometimes developers they don't ask enough questions and they will just kind of, you know, get on and develop what you've asked for. Sometimes you've not asked for the right thing. And it kind of, uh, yeah, some, having a team that kind of will spend time understanding, I suppose it, that helps having the right, right leadership as well. But yeah, even going into Australia, we started with some really basic software, you know, uh, it's a few integrations off the shelf integrations to start to prove that you could, it was okay to pull data. All these organizations who traditionally, you know, kept their data all siloed and, a lot of the time they would struggle to report against their own data, let alone create market insight and predictive modeling and machine learning and so on. So it was just go, I'd, I'd really emphasize, and I think I, I heard another podcast you did around that minimum value pro- product, most minim, minimum viable product. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, it's keeping, remaining flexible for as long as possible. You know, we're, we're two years in now in, in Australia and New Zealand, uh, we pull data on about three to four million members. I work with around a thousand organizations and we're now only starting to, in the next six months, we'll be delivering what we call version two of, of the product, which will be uh, Microsoft Stack and some of our own proprietary software. But we've kind of held back for a long time to to get to that stage and make sure it, it does all kind of stack up and customers are happy to keep paying and they go on this kind of maturity curve of value with products kind of coming in at different times. Yeah, I've tried to help hold back for as long as possible, particularly when you're working with, with large amounts of data and that data is often inconsistent. And if you don't get the data right, there's no point having the best uh, user interface or user experience <laughs> because your product's True. not going to not going to stack up anyway. Yeah, data is all about adding real value and real results and proving, proving like delivering those results from a data perspective. What are some of the key things that your customers are looking for? Big data is 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 a buzzword in the industry. Clearly, AI, machine learning, everything in this space is is if you're tapping into a buzzword. But eight years ago, when you started this, probably wasn't, or ten years ago, however long it was, 2012. So about eight years ago now, or ten actually it was. So ten years. So back then, data was 
was how did you find data back then to data now and how is the conversations going in terms of AI machine learning and how much value does it add to your organization just playing it, yeah. playing in that space? I think AI and machine learning and I get frustrated by how much that's banded around and it, it, it is, is the buzzword at the moment yeah. and we only use it in, in a small part of what we do. We've got a, uh-huh. um, a predictive retention model and customer journey model so we predict when, when people are likely to leave and that continually feeds back with with kind of the volumes of data and what's sent to who and so on but no I think a lot of the time and going back to uh, you know we it was really basic to start with it was demographic mapping and and basic Mm -hmm. data sets but I think reflecting coming into into Australia in in 2018 I had this this you know ambition that we're going to create the most advanced data science model you know we're going to have machine learning everywhere we're going to be put a pin on the map we can tell you how many members are likely to get there we're going to be you know, guiding the investment that goes into every single gym across Australia and New Zealand. And what we found pretty quickly, and I wouldn't call this a full pivot, but a partial pivot, is that, and we've got this tagline, creating a more informed and and connected sector. And I was thinking, right, we're going to create these really great data science models and everyone's going to be more informed. But actually, a lot of the time, organizations just wanted to be more connected around basic data. So, okay, well, you know, you're running my venues. I'm in city of Sydney. They, the council, the government owns the venues. They've got another operator in running those venues. Okay, just tell me, you know, what's the, the membership like at the moment? What's the engagement of people from these different demographics? What impacts are you having? You know, how far are you reaching with these venues? Is that good? You know, what, how does that compare to venues in Melbourne or Perth or Auckland? And just really... So it's the basic movement of accurate data and the mm-hmm. basic insights that can be generated. And it was, I mean, that's, and that's what we've kind of continued to, to push against. Yeah, we've, we've got an R&D set up and we continually refine those, those predictive models and the machine learning. But often also a lot of clients aren't ready to go straight to that. Either their data's not ready or they're not ready as a team to fully kind of implement it. And I think, again, reflecting back, sometimes we've potentially jumped the gun too early. You know, you're trying mm-hmm. to sell as much as you can early on to build a team and, and kind of keep it all going. And actually now we're, we're a lot more patient about how we, we onboard clients and how we take them through this journey, making sure we've got kind of safeguards and there's a degree of, kind of data integrity at different stages to know that you know, we're not jumping straight ahead to some machine learning thing, but actually the outputs aren't going to be accurate. You might use that type of technique and it might be you know, a more advanced bit of software, but the output's not going to add any value to you as a business. And actually you're better starting at this stage. Um, but also that that conveniently it helps create a more I'd say sticky network. If you're mm-hmm. um, go back to that idea of um, the Aquatic and Rec Victoria Association, they're using the network to report the impacts to every local government in in Victoria. Now, if you've created that and other organisations dialing in using that network, uh, it's quite unique. So therefore, it, it straight away it adds value because you've got that coverage. So yeah, it's. I forgot what the original question was, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I think it's, it's changed. Yeah. Your data had changed from back then. I, I think you've met, touched on a, quite a few things there. You've, you basically talked about, like when we're in business and we start out, we have this vision of what our product might be or our product might do and the, the level it might get to, but you've let the customers guide the product and what they actually need. And what they need is sometimes 10 times less thinking or less complicated. Um, and that's why MVP is important. And I think you mentioned it. MVP is generally 5, 10%, 15%, 20% of what you think your product might be. And then it can become the core product for quite a while because yeah. we sort of get stuck in 
these big rich features of yes plonking a, a pin on a map and you can tell me everything about that and where should i build the right the the gym or the center or how many members i'm going to get in this specific location that's all brilliant but if you don't have any if you've got blinkers on and as a business you don't even know what's happening right now within the center and who's using it and how often they're coming and there's no data reporting then there's no point having all that other information because operating the now is a problem yeah and I think just along those lines, you know, I think we were guilty early on of, you know, we'd turn up to see clients, we might go down to, to Whittlesea or City of Melbourne or across to Perth. And we would, you know, go in with that first slide that said, right, you know, we're on target to track 100 million people or, and, and, you know, we've got all these big aspirations. Actually, they, they don't care about that. They want to know <laughs> what it's going to do directly for their problem right now. And that problem probably half the time doesn't need machine learning. It just needs better use of their data and connecting into into a network and I one of the stories I, I used to tell is I, I was very fortunate to to get on stage um, within a couple of months of arriving in Australia at the, the National Sports mm -hmm. Convention down in, in Melbourne and had a big picture of my my nan on this this huge screen behind us in the the auditorium and I tell the story that, that this is my nan she was um, active up until at the time it was kind of five six years ago when our, our granddad passed away but she was playing golf all the time but she hasn't done anything since um, but my nan lives 200 yards from or 200 meters from a, a sports center. That sports center has no idea what to offer a lady who's 85 years old, who's dropped out of sport five years ago, who's, you know, this is X, Y, and Z about her. But there's 200 nans on that street. There's 2,000 nans in that estate. And then my nan also goes and sees the doctor, you know, once every month because she's 85 years old. That doctor is 200 meters from the sports center. But again, that doctor has no idea what to prescribe in terms of physical activity to someone of that nature, let alone kind of work within systems to refer them into that into that sports center environment and get a feedback the other end of what's what's working and what's not so they can refer the next grandma in and the next one and so on. And so we're, I mean, that's our last point, that's highlight something we're starting to do in Australia, working within the closer with the health services to, again, it comes off that idea of a network, but to support uh, more exercise uh, referrals into, into sports venues. But yeah, taking the point that it's not, you just because it's your goal and your aspiration as a company, it, it doesn't mean it's relevant to that, that local organization. And you've really got to consider what their, you know, the one or two things they want to achieve next are, because it's probably not your, your aspirations as a business. <laughs> No, the purpose no. is fine, but not the not the headline goals. Yeah, very true, very true. So that's a good tip for everybody out there. That's put your goals on your wall <laughs> and talk yeah. about how you're going to serve your customers and what they need and their goals and their objectives. Like the listening back to the partnerships is pivotal to any business. It's like, what are you doing to solve it? So help them get to their objectives. That's what they're looking for, and that's what everyone's looking for. It's they've got the, everyone's got their own goals, objectives, but working collaboratively, and if you can all serve each other, it's a better outcome for all. So let's dig a bit more, Alex, into the business itself and how you structured it uh, in terms of moving to Australia. You've obviously got a, a wealth of experience over in the UK, so clearly that's obviously helped building an organisation in a new country new place you obviously mentioned you had network partners that got you here but how have you brought, built a team around you how have you thought about that process how have you built the team to deliver the products within it what's the thinking been there and what yeah what have you learned from when you first built that team where you're working out of your bedroom to now and probably a, a board around you i think the number one thing is hire people that have a passion for the area you're working in because it means they'll, they'll go the extra mile it goes back to that that vision and the purpose and, and mm -hmm. so on 
you know you could be the best data scientist or data engineer but if you don't care for again it's it's we work in quite a good area where you know more active and healthy communities is most people stand stand behind and you know it will benefit them nan as much as as much as my nan if you get it right so i think yeah hiring the first couple of people is really important i think it's they need to be really driven. I, the first data scientist came up from Melbourne. We were working in a co-working space in Sydney. Moved, you know, it was only me at the time. So yeah, good on, good on him. He moved up and, and joined us. I think you need to, we were fortunate again with those connections in the UK that, that I had coming across. We started working with some of the largest leisure operator kind of management companies out there. So, you know, the YMCA, there's another one called Belgravia Leisure. They gave us enough of a a basis and kind of almost the security, the ongoing kind of subscriptions to to grow that team. The first year, year and a half was was pretty tight at times. You're pushing the cash flow and you're, you know, you're making different diff- difficult calls around particularly marketing, but also when to go into different areas and, and improve the product and, and take it in different directions. I think also having a set of advisors and mentors who, and they might not even have you know, shares in the business. They might just be friends who are interested in this, or they might have an organization that they can see a partnership further down the line. But staying chummy with them, staying in touch and getting their advice, particularly coming from the UK into Australia, is it is a different market. Other people know a lot more than I do about, you know, what, what organizations need there. So if I can, you know, so I'd have, yeah, over the last couple of years, having a set of advisors, mentors, people who would get excited about this, people who would you know, set us up in conferences or bring us into webinars. That was that was really important. And then most recently, hiring a couple of really good directors who complement my my skill set. So we've got a, a new chief exec who's come in because I'm starting to, still working across Australia and New Zealand, but starting to, to take it into a couple of other markets. And having another director who's got a very good eye for detail, which is, yeah, which which is important. Yeah. You know, it's all about people in the end. And I think you touched on advisors and mentors, and they can be anybody, like you said, that have some experience, maybe been been down that path before, worked in industry, have just anyone to lean on, ask questions. We can we can get a little bit lost on the inside of a business. So bringing our own four walls, doing the day-to-day and the thinking, it's sometimes, yeah, just having a chat to someone outside your box can bring can open up different ideas, different channels. So we... Yeah, the more we can share, I've found in my experience that the better outcomes we can get. And we get there a little bit faster too because, um, yeah, questioning your thinking is difficult to do. Uh, other people questioning and giving you different insights, yeah, opens up different opportunities in your own mind and the ways you might approach things. So mentors and advisors are a big thing. There's a podcast that um, we did. I cannot recall the number. It's with Dan Mumby around building an advisory board definitely something for anyone listening now it's back in the early early stages of our podcast probably seven or eight so the world's back down there but yeah building a team is and advisors is definitely a way to open up your network your opportunities and your thinking because in the end we don't have all the answers yeah and so and i think sometimes people jump too i know organizations that jump too quickly to formalizing things with non-exec directors and Mm. them wanting you know shares and and so on and actually maybe that's not necessary people maybe are just interested in, and happy to help particularly if like i say they've they've got they work in the industry or have some kind of connection into it i think also what helped us grow the team is is looking at also what other benefits are available to organizations so we we haven't done any formal raises in terms of capital but we we get an r&d tax rebate 
because we're doing kind of new stuff in an industry and, and Australia is good for this, for, for supporting uh, kind of new businesses. And then we've also recently been selected by the Oz industry, which is like the department for business science and it might be energy in Australia. And they, they select a, a group every quarter and it's for their accelerator program. I and mean, that's going to run another year. That's it's combination funding, but also that, that government, federal government stamp as well, which is really important to, to what we do. So it I would think make a difference definitely for you, especially yeah. for you, Sagri. Yeah, yeah, great yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's probably something we could have done more in the UK and, and going all the way back. But spending time, and it's not the most exciting thing to do, but spending time researching what is available to start up companies because yeah, there's there's usually a lot more than you're yeah, it's put right in front of you. Don't wait for it to be put in front of you. Uh, it won't won't appear will it (laughs) we have to go seek something definitely so it is a a journey of seeking sorry um, it's episode 5 and 13 for that um, about building a team yeah okay episode 5 and R&D tax concession you mentioned that a little bit it's something that not a lot of businesses know about but if you are doing something more unique that's somewhat novel in the space there is opportunity so go out and seek some advice we also had a podcast with Alex Pakin and the team at R&D 360. Episode 19. Episode 19, yeah. So that is another one. If you're looking for that bit of advice around R&D and R&D opportunities with Oz, if you're doing something unique. Software, Alex, can be a little bit challenging if it's just out of the box, but if you are in data and that sort of space, there is an opportunity there. So definitely seek that out because it is a significant benefit to the business and gives you a lot more runway and you've been not you've haven't had to bring in what you'd say actual funding you've been able to fund it obviously you brought some capital to it i would imagine but with these these particular things you can actually drive your funding a lot further down the line especially pre-revenue when you're in that sort of world there's some significant benefit yeah i think it makes you obviously the the federal government program at the moment yeah makes Mm -hmm. you a lot more attractive further down Further down the line, and we're obviously looking yeah. at version two. We're, mm-hmm. we're looking at scale. We probably will need to to raise it at some point in the future and going into new markets, US mm-hmm. and Canada at the moment. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Uh, it's one of those things where you probably read it on the website and you think, oh, this is, looks a lot of work. And uh, particularly R and D, it is a bit of um, messing around in the first year because you probably haven't set up your systems and your timesheets and how you record mm-hmm. different activity in the right kind of way. So yeah, we. We worked with one of the the large firms that, that specialised in this area. I mean, it was yeah, I'd definitely say it was worth the money. It probably equated mm-hmm. to five percent of of the rebate we got back, but it made things a lot easier. And then obviously the year two and three onwards, yeah, it's much more straightforward. Yeah, get the help. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's an area we do a little bit in. So yeah, we do some obviously some R and D within our own business, and uh, been doing that with. Oh, it does help. It's a little bit of a kick and a help. If you want to be investing in new product and new streams, it definitely can assist you there without looking for that additional investment. It can be a way you can do it yourself if you do have some capital or push the investor capital further. So definitely something for people to explore and look into. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, Alex, um, so when since you rolled out into the new market in Australia compared to England, have you had sort of different challenges that you've had to face? I think coming over, everyone said, oh, Australia is completely different. And it is different, obviously. But... You've got the state system in, in Australia. I mean, actually, we grew quicker initially in, in New Zealand, probably because you haven't got the state system and you can create up this create this kind of ecosystem for a, for an entire country around sharing of kind of insight and data. And it's, it's worth saying no organization ever sees another organization's data without giving explicit permission. And it's about much more around creating insights from, from the information. 
But actually, the going back to the Australia and the state system, that kind of helps because you've got a product, you're, you're selling it multiple times rather than once to, a, to an organisation that maybe works across the whole country, you're selling it at a state level. I actually think Australia is more progressive for this type of thing. I think they, if you, to start with, if you say, oh, we've, we've done this in the UK and it worked and all this kind of thing's possible, that really does help. It probably wears a little bit thin after the first kind of uh, meeting. They, they don't want to be, you know, people in Australia don't want to be told, oh, you know, we're just doing what the UK guys did. But but saying that, we've we've taken it on and it's a, it's a different type of company and it's doing, yeah, other types of exciting things. So I think just coming to Australia, you've got to be prepared to travel. Obviously, this is pre-COVID. And as I said, I did so many, that 6 a.m. flight from Sydney down to Melbourne, I was probably doing... Oh, once every two weeks if not once a week and then you mm-hmm. do you know trips to Perth and you just got to be prepared to put the the miles in because again we work in a, a b2b space so it's you it makes you're probably gonna we found we'd sell four times four to five times as much if we're meeting in person than than over just a phone call or relying on on your website and uh, case studies and videos and so on so it was worth it was worth putting the yards in yeah Oh, everyone likes no, face to face. I think we're um yeah, we are we're social people, social beings, right? So but in times like just asking the question, how is the business tracking right now in terms of obviously uh, what's happening in Oz? Obviously we've been in a bit of lockdown. Your main team's in Sydney, which is probably a little bit more open than Melbourne has been. But what's the impact been there and um have you been doing a lot more online stuff just to um work with customers and get involved or is still some slight travel there isn't much available to us all yeah. uh, it's um uh, it's online i mean once a client goes live most of the the support and onboarding and uh-huh. you know client success sessions are, are online anyway yes. but um no i mean well, we went through three four months when venues were closed and similar in, in new zealand so that's one of our markets obviously we, we have licenses to, to government and sport as well some of which were were affected but they're they're more kind of annual subscriptions so where it was a, a monthly subscription, we, we froze that license. Where it was mm-hmm. annual, we we added on extra months. I think we, again, it shifted the conversation to rather than using data to drive more members or improve your operations or create cheaper leads and how you spend your marketing budget. It was more around where hub organisations show the community impact and why they're critical assets to that local area and you know why government should keep funding them and how they're going to bounce back and. Yeah, I mean, I think Australia is tracking at about 60% re-engagement outside of Victoria in terms of members that have come back to the venue once they've reopened. New Zealand's a bit higher, 80-90%. But again, there's, that's quite a, quite a data-rich area for us to, to tap into around modelling expected behaviours of customers, how to re-engage them, how to recognise who should be re-engaged at different times to protect overall revenue as well as you know, community impacts. And it's, it's probably, it's fast-tracked the need for organizations to to yeah act on their data either mm-hmm. through commercial pressures through contractual pressures and also because covid's forced people to to ask people to check in and swipe in and we know that you did that zimba session and that boxer size session and so on because you have to you know, tap in now because of covid so which obviously helps with the flow of data and, and the value we can provide the other end but yeah it was a worrying time and it's still i mean like i said we're going into lockdown number two in the uk so yeah there's a lot of organizations that are, that are going to really struggle as yeah they're talking about a third of leisure centers are, are at risk in the uk and it's going to be a, a pretty pretty dark winter yeah it's yeah. challenging isn't it and and the space you're in right now is 
people need to go to and visit. And if you can't leave your house or you're in lockdown, that's just impossible for them to operate. The challenge that you have as well is in that world is um, just from my experience being in Melbourne, being a, a member of a gym, you go and invest in equipment because you're locked away and then you think, do I need to go back to the gym now? So there's yeah. going to be a lot of impact like that occurring throughout the space and across across the globe really around what that impact might be. And then the yeah. uptake at the other end will be interesting to see how it plays out. But you'll know exactly what's going on, Alex. You have all the data available. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's also there's a lot of people who maybe being more active and healthy is a bit more on their radar at the moment. Yes. And and it's then okay as as a venue and as a sport. Mm-hmm. And there's you know, if you look across all sports, they're so talking you know AFL at the weekend, football, cricket, mm-hmm. right through to the gym and, and swimming. There's about 10 million people that have some kind of registered membership across Australia and New Zealand. So it's pretty sizable. Yeah, it's um, big numbers, isn't it? Yeah, and then this is this is lifted up further. If you think about people who've just gone out for a cycle, for a bike ride, maybe dropped into a this is kind of March April time where you could drop into a group session in the local park with a with a personal trainer as as venues are beginning to close. But it's made people more aware. It's maybe given them a little bit more confidence in their own abilities because mm-hmm. you know one of the biggest barriers is it, it's it's pretty daunting to walk into a gym first of all. And but and particularly in that local government space with leisure and aquatic centres, where those ven- those venues are there to serve a community and get, provide opportunities to people that maybe wouldn't traditionally be active. But it's those people who are, the barriers are highest to the perception of going into a gym. And it's how do you how do you use data also to understand how to to help those types of people create a, a kind of a sustainable habit. And um, yeah, those those venues are best place to do it. And We'll continue to support that and try and understand it and share that that insight across the network. Always keen to get an impact on or an understanding of what data can do. So do you have some stats you can give us in terms of the learnings that you had across the journey and the impact data can have on these centres and understanding of how they operate? It's definitely something that I'm always interested in in terms of what impact you can have. Any ideas and or any thoughts on that or stories you can share? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll throw some stats that come to yeah. mind. So... Yeah, if you make a step change, I think, again, we, we work in an industry where it's not like the supermarkets and mm-hmm. say the banks, but I'm not sure about the banks, where they, they've got, you know, take Coles or Woolies, they've got a full data science team. They've, they've been using data for quite a while. So, yeah, there has been an, an opportunity to make a, a reasonably significant step change. So by running some you know, basic retention models and, and re-engagement, you can reduce the, the attrition rate, which is normally somewhere between 5 and 10% of your membership, reduce that by 25% over three to six months, which is mm-hmm. it's pretty sizable when you, you think about the, the extra income that comes from those members staying a little bit longer. If you can get a member to engage with some kind of group exercise, group programming, rather than just dipping into the gym, and they stay for an extra 3.9 months longer. Interesting. So you get all your body pump, your body class, and and again, a lot of people go into the gym and go, "Oh, that's not really for me," or it's not kind of the right kind of program. Again, data sits behind the communication, the timetabling, uh-huh. you know, what you're purchasing as a program, as a venue, are you offering the are you offering the right type of thing? So that, that's one side, and then, like I said, the other side, which is growing more and more in importance, and I think I think it will. It, continue that way is how the leisure aquatic fitness sector can align with the health sector there's so much more money that goes into health than it it does in into sport so there's a couple of stats where for instance at the moment 68 percent of australians are either overweight or obese which is you know if you look 68 percent jeez i think that was that bad wow okay big number we we did the Mm. yeah we did the classic thing where we we flew into sydney set up um for the first two weeks in an airbnb in bondi and you wouldn't believe it was 68 percent you'd think it was 
you know, 0.68%. <laughs> we didn't stay in Bondi too long. That was a little bit too extreme for us. We moved, moved down the coast. But yeah, so how do you address that as an industry? An industry that's valued at so 16.2 billion in terms of the social and economic impact. But for every dollar that goes in, it creates $7 of, of social value, of community mm. savings. And your, your average active member at a, a local leisure or aquatic center generates $3,932 per year of social value savings across things like dementia and diabetes and coronary heart disease. And they're more productive in the workplace and they you know, achieve more educationally. And a lot of what we do is... Um, this is where we have a partnership with um, KPMG in this space, is we we bring that type of modeling down into the network to allow any organization, no matter their kind of size or experience with data, to track the savings that they're making. And to I'll go back to the idea of connecting with partners. So use that to connect with maybe a slightly different funding partner, maybe with another organization that wants to deliver at your venue and has shared objectives in that kind of space. And then also use some of the predictive modeling to say, okay, well, if we had another hundred thousand dollars worth of investment we could create this amount of of savings for the community further and we've got some predictive modeling through through some of the stuff we provide that says right i'm going to target these communities in these areas this is how i'm going to deliver the marketing this is how i'm going to change the operations and but this is the target value i'm going to create and that help really helps broker meaningful partnerships that maybe didn't exist before and just helps an industry work better together with that that overarching kind of purpose of yeah more active and healthy communities and you get raising that awareness of what's possible yeah makes a big difference and opens people's eyes to think differently yeah it does when it comes from a again it, it came back to not creating it the most complex model ever keep it simple but allow everyone to report in a consistent and credible kind of way so you know working with kpmg and they've done things for federal government but we've created this this network of data why don't we slot that kind of thing in and just take everyone on that first step first or second step because that's that's maybe even more valuable than yeah machine learning in some other place is just that that recognition and and helping yeah establish those partnerships in terms of your passion it's it rings through uh, the conversation <laughs> here so <laughs> clearly standing by that purpose and that drive to impact which is quite powerful and I was going to ask the question what gets you up in the morning but I think I have the answer because <laughs> yeah. we can get in a business it can be challenging times we can have our moments nothing ever goes smoothly. Uh, we always have our ups and downs within business. So you can see the passion that would drive you forward in terms of where you're at as a business and, and what you stand for, really. Yeah, I think that's that's helped. And, you know, they say keep working until it, feel, it doesn't feel like a job. It definitely does feel like a job sometimes when you're there and you're you yeah. know, looking through the, the financials or trying to do the budgets or doing things like the R&D. But when, you're, when you have an opportunity to sit in a room with like-minded people who want to achieve that goal with you and go on this kind of journey, oh, there's nothing better. Absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Yeah, yeah, it's about the impact you can make, right? And uh, yeah. I think you've touched upon it, like-minded people. It's important to connect with like-minded people. And it's one of the reasons why we put the DevReady podcast together. It's being able to connect with people like yourself from over in the UK. Yes, you are working in Oz, but we connected via LinkedIn, had a bit of a chat and um, able to share your story and your, your backgrounds. Just to, to our little community uh, that's listening in that we can add value to. So really where we're looking to add value is anyone that's jumping into business and non-technical which is what you are and you've got a really technical mm. business but from a data science perspective you still have some technical capability but not from a delivery perspective from a development perspective i'll touch upon that a little bit because there's something i like to share within our conversation so within building technology how have you approached that 
with your team, with your customers? And what have you found works for you to get the outcomes that you're after with collaborating with team and or customers at the same time? I think going back to, if I reflect on, on Sydney, the second person we employed was had a really strong product uh, design background. Mm-hmm. And that, that was important. And some basics around uh, putting a, an online application together. And also then had a some other trusted developers that, that she worked with. And that allowed us to to kind of get into that product space. Your risk, I think, sometimes, particularly when you're working with data and, and on the B2B side, is it feels too much like a consultancy. And it's a different business model. Uh, it's got If you treat it like a consultancy, it'll probably fail as a and you treat it too long like a consultancy, it will fail as a product business. Clients will put you into that box. They'll continue to look for bespoke setups, support, and so on. So it allowed us to yeah to move into that space pretty quickly, and then start to yeah continually build that that minimum value, minimum viable product off the back of it. I think again, try not to go too far too quickly. I know I said that before. Keeping things simple, particularly we're trying to we're in the space of influencing decisions. That's what we're ultimately trying to do with data and business intelligence. And, you know, we can look at these things and because we look at them day in, day out, we're like, oh, this is, you know, obvious. Surely you click here and it takes you there and that's the answer. But yeah, a lot of the clients we work with, business intelligence data isn't their daily job. Uh, running oh, a sports right. venue is and mm. being great at front of house and the strategy on you know how to run a gym and how to run the next 10 to 20 gyms. So it's it's putting yourself in, the, in their shoes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, keep it simple is is an important tip there. And once again, you touched upon people and getting the right people around you because, yeah, we need a good team to deliver any outcomes. And, yeah, building that right team and the way you work and collaborate is probably allowing you to attract good people to your organization. That's definitely important. Yeah, it does. I mean, like having that product designer who, who's mm-hmm. really talented, a lady called Stella, I, for minimum investment that we put in to start with you know you've got data streaming in you've got interactive maps of you know where your customers are coming from where your remaining hotspots are you can zoom in under the sydney bridge and out somewhere else and see the football demand in blacktown all that kind of stuff but it, that does you need a, an element of that i know it sounds a little bit marketing and i go back to it's probably slightly contradictory to what i was saying it's all about the substance and the well, it does that that gets people's attention, but then it quickly shifts to, okay, what's the value? How do we get a case study? How do we get a testimonial? How do we get a, a relationship with a whole load of middle tier partners to help refer this into to their clients to grow a network? Because that's, you know, market insight requires a, a network of, of data sharing organizations. But yeah, having something that looks looks good and, you know, particularly now people ex- expect good looking technology, a good user interface, a good experience, UX. It's um, you know, outside of use, you know, they say, well, they're probably you know, looking at Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Instagram, and that sets the bar pretty high. So yeah, we've been spoiled as a we, we have. technology we have. and the consumer technology has uh, come a long way over the past five, 10 years. And this, what we look at on our phones is quite clean, slick, engaging, easy to follow. Um, so yeah, that's really important in terms of driving and looking good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's, um, it's finding the right, it's the right team and looking at, what they've achieved in the past and does it fit with yeah with where with where you're going i guess and and we we're fortunate to hire the first first time yeah the whole team's been brilliant but yeah particularly the first three or four people have really set us on the on the right path 
I've got uh, in clever times working in Melbourne. I'll leave this on the podcast. I've got my uh, two-year-old knocking on the door, so <laughs> just bear <laughs> with me one moment. <laughs> yeah. I'll finish up here, Alex. I'll ask you one last question more about reflecting on the past and the journey. So, Alex, thinking back to the business when you started, what was it, 10 years ago, your first uh, adventure, if you were to go back to the Alex of 10 years ago, what are some of the things, maybe three things that you'd say to Alex of 10 years ago, back in 2010, what to look out for, what to do, what to think about when moving into business? Because it is a very interesting world that you venture into. What would you say to Alex 10 years ago? Yeah, I, I think the first thing, when I, and I think this probably will resonate with a lot of people at the moment with uh, who maybe are working for larger business, uh, businesses that are struggling and um, they may be faced with redundancy. That was pretty scary back in 2009. I was what, 25, 26, and it was my first job. I'd been there a few a few years, and then we had the administrators come in and everyone put their pen down, and we were told, oh, you know, the game's up. You know, mm. head home, and you get your your thousand pounds worth of redundancy money, which you know you have to wait six months for. And that was that was a little bit scary, but it also felt like a huge relief because sometimes when you work in organizations you know they're going slightly down the wrong path and you're not adding as much value as you possibly can and actually sometimes that's the best thing ever to and I probably needed I wish I hadn't have needed that push but I, I probably did need that push I think so one thing I'd, I would have reflected on is maybe have a not a, so worried is the wrong word but just had a little bit more confidence to that point mm-hmm. that the world is is not as daunting as it yeah as you might think and actually there's a lot of support people are excited about uh, startups and being disruptive in different areas. And yeah, it doesn't take too much to, to bring some people around an idea. So just getting going, first of all. And if you feel like you're at that kind of crossroads and thinking, oh, is redundancy on the horizon and stuff? It's, yeah, it's it's not the worst thing. It's It sometimes really sets you up well to go down a different route. I think the second thing would be, what would I say, is to, I think going back to the, the people and and really, make think because I, I was fortunate having a, a really strong team around us um even at that, that first tech company in in the uk i think sometimes we in both uk and australia we've tried to design too much for different types of people and not stayed consider you know really focused in on on the core product and we've sometimes moved forward a little bit and had to come back and really focus in on that so it's maybe not jumping at every every opportunity and having a bit of a a plan to how you assess those opportunities and and something that you you stand firm by the third one is i'd say just yeah well i suppose when you is just be prepared particularly coming to a new country to to put the miles in it's it becomes i mean with all startups particularly when you care about the area you become pretty obsessive about it and you know that you need very patient family and friends kind of go with you as much as a team and clients and partners and so on and yeah, coming to, into Australia where, you know, we came in originally thinking, oh, this might be six months, might do a bit more consultancy. Then this opportunity opened up and it became apparent that there was a need for this kind of data sharing network and ecosystem. But then you're, yeah, you're both feet in and you're fully committed. And yeah, that requires a lot of um, yeah, patience from from those around you. Yeah, which has been great. But yeah, like I said, it's a lot of 6 a.m. wake ups and getting home that last flight. With, yeah, half 11 at night, 12 o'clock, doing that a few days a week and you're, you're long, pretty knackered. Yeah. So <laughs> you just got to, I suppose, where you can expect that and just, um, yeah, try and work around it. But it's it's worth it. If you believe in the area, it's worth it. Alex, the joy of why I enjoy really enjoy doing this is to see where you've 
you started and where you are now. And to think back that back to 2010, you jumped into this business because of a redundancy is quite interesting. And confidence is is everything in life, but we don't get into we get experience. So sometimes life happens for us. But now you're in what 2008, and you're happy to fly into another country and give that a go. So it, it's amazing how far we can come when we actually take the first step. So yeah, it's really good insight for people that are in, at the crossroads right now that are thinking, yes, like they could be in that similar position to you. What do I do? Do I take the step on my own thing? Just listen to this story because uh, there is no right time. There's only the time that you make it and take advantage of maybe the time that you have to put some effort into something you're really passionate about and who knows where you might be in 10 years. So Alex, yeah. brilliant story. And I uh, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story, your journey thus far. And I'm I'm sure there's plenty of interesting story to come over the next five, 10 years as the way you grow this within different markets and different sectors potentially. So Alex, thanks for joining us. Oh, fantastic. No, thank you both for the, uh, for the opportunity. Oh, definitely. And uh, yeah, love to catch up in the future. So yeah, keep us posted on how you're tracking. If anyone wanted to find out more about you, how can they do that? So the the website for Australia is www.activexchange.org or you can get me directly. It's just alex at activexchange.org with with one X in the middle. So it's kind of active and then an X and then a change. It was the worst name because you have to explain every time (laughs) when you you say it. I'll put the links out in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Sure, right. I appreciate that, Alex. And, and good luck in the UK. It's obviously challenging times over there. And uh, hopefully uh, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but moving into the winter might be a little bit challenging. So good luck with everything over there. Yeah, thanks, guys. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks.